0: Colossians chapter 2 actually we're going to get to John we're going to stay we're going to be in John but just as a launching off point I want to start in Colossians which is a little later in your New Testament one of Paul's letters uh, Colossians chapter 2 verse 2 and I, I really do continue to be blessed but one of my favorite moments of the of a Sunday morning is, of course, seeing all of you, but it's coming out of that prayer room, out of the library where you pray at 10 o'clock, and seeing all the kids just like playing in the lobby and stuff like that. And yes, they're loud and they're noisy and they might knock you over with a hip check, but it's life, man. I, like, I enjoy it. I, I, I love seeing them together. And um, like a wise father, and many, there are many fathers in here and maybe some fathers to be in here, like a, like a wise father... The Lord doesn't reveal everything about himself right away. I mean, if the day you got saved, if God showed you everything about himself and what his plan was for your life, you would try to almost revoke your salvation if you could, but you can't. You'd get so overwhelmed by, by what the future holds. And no wise parent would say everything about himself when his child's only a toddler, right? You kind of meet those things out. A wise parent will reveal things about himself progressively right first the things that maybe they can grasp when they're very little and then you start to reveal some more about yourself as you get a little older and then when you're a little older maybe dad or mom shares some of their more you know intimate things about themselves with you and that's how it is with God and in Colossians chapter 2 we see one of the mysteries here is the mystery of the progressive revelation of God That God was progressively revealing more and more about himself as he dealt with his people in his word. Look at Colossians 2 verse 2. It says, and it's his prayer there, that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. (laughs) That's a progressive revelation. In the Old Testament, God first revealed himself as God. You read about him telling Abraham, I'm the almighty God. Like That was his first kind of introduction to people. I am the almighty God. I'm the one that made all this stuff, right? Somehow we've forgotten that. Somehow we've swallowed this lie that things can come from nothing and that crazy postmodern, you know, pseudo-scientific nonsense, Uh, and then to the nation of Israel, God started forming a people and he revealed himself to that people as father, as someone that would beget a nation. He called Israel his son. It wasn't just, I'm God, but now I'm father. I have a different relationship. I have a kind of fellowship with you. I want to speak to you, Israel. But for the church, that ultimate revelation of God, that final progression is we see that this big mighty God became Christ, the anointed Savior of the world, the one that wants to put us in this thing called the church together, make us one body with him. So you see there a progressive revelation of God, God, Father, Christ. Now, this progressive revelation of God becomes more and more personal to you right it's more and more intimate from the big god 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 to the christ that hung on the cross in your place that's increasingly more intimate increasingly more personal it's god revealing more and more of himself to you but in the upper room if you want to flip over to john now and go to john 13 actually in the upper room where we've been reading through we see another progression which is connected to this progression but in the upper room, we see the progressive relationship of God to his disciples. We see another progression. In John 13, Jesus Christ calls his disciples servants. In John 15, Jesus goes on to call the disciples his friends. And then in John chapter 20, after the resurrection, Jesus Christ refers to his disciples as brethren servants friends brethren now the progressive revelation of god is about the lord relating to us god father christ our progressive relationship with god is all about how we relate to him how we learn more and more about our relationship to him servant friend brethren family And so I want to talk to you today about our progressive relationship, how God wants our relationship to grow, and what are these things that he showed the disciples, where did he start them, where did he leave them, and you, if you're maturing in your relationship with God, you should be maturing according to this progression. You shouldn't be stuck or stunted. So let's see what the Lord has to say here. Let's pray. Lord, we love you today. We thank you today. Thank you for the good spirit already, the songs, the the, the shout in the camp, Lord. I pray I wouldn't quench that, Lord. Help me, Lord, to stoke that fire, Lord. Let there be some joy and some zeal and some passion. Let there be some attentiveness to your word, Lord. Let us enjoy being with you and being with each other today, Father. Let us drop all the airs, drop all the religion, drop all the formality. Let us, Lord, just relax, be together, and hear what you have to say. Let us not be moved away from the simplicity that is in Christ, dear Lord. And if someone doesn't know you today as Savior, may they start there, Lord. May they receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, their Christ, and be born again. We trust you for the increase, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at John chapter 13. Let's start at verse 13. And we're just going to walk through this progression here. Our progressive relationship with God, right? Let's start where Jesus Christ starts in that upper room. The first way we relate to the Lord is as his servants, his servants. John chapter 13, verse number 13. See it there? Ye call me master and Lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Please see that the first role Jesus Christ ascribes to his disciples is servants. It's kind of the first thing you gotta get. You're a servant. You're here for him. He's not here for you. All right, that's a shock to your senses, I know. But that's the truth. A servant is someone who's in subjection to someone else. Can I ask you this question? Are you submitted to the Lord? Are you in subjection to him? That's where you got to start because if you're not in subjection to him, if you're not submitted to him, that doesn't mean you're his slave. That just means you know he's God and you're not. <laughs> you know he's right and you're wrong when you cross each other. right? That's subjection, that submission. He says right there, if I then your Lord... Right? You're supposed to be submitted to a Lord. You're supposed to kind of bow your will to a Lord, yield yourself to a Lord. You don't tell a Lord what to do. A Lord tells you what to do. That's where we start in our relationship with God and how we relate to him. A servant is someone who's been purchased. Have you been bought with a price? Oh, let me ask that again. Have you been bought with a price? Remember those nails and those spears and those whips and that, all that scourging and that passion and that agony? That was a price that was paid. He says right there in verse 14, I'm your Lord, you're supposed to be submitted to me, and I'm your master. Now, I know that bucks are a trend, and we hate hearing even those words in today's modern you know, 21st century sensibilities, but guess what? Jesus Christ is your master. The Bible says, one is your master, even Christ. He's your master. He purchased you with his blood. So he's your master. He owns you. He owns your hands. He owns your feet. He owns your eyes. He owns your mind. He owns that body, and one day he's coming back for it, right? And he's going to make it the way he wants it to be, right? And it says, a servant, I was also thinking, is someone who does things, right, who attends on his Lord, who, who performs certain duties, right? And if you look at verse number 15, look at that. He says, ye should do as I have done, right? Now he had just washed their feet. So he's saying, hey guys, you need to get down and wash each other's feet, right? If you're gonna be a servant like me, you need to get down and do something that a servant is supposed to do. Verse 17, he says, happy are ye if ye Do them. You see, a servant is a doer. I think in the book of Luke, chapter 6, Jesus asks this very tough question. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Why aren't you doing what I say if you're telling me that that you're my servant? And I was thinking about this in terms of children, right? The first stage of child development with parents, you know what that child is learning first? What are the do's and don'ts, right? You know, what do I need to do to please mom and dad? What do I not need to do so that I upset mom? I don't upset mom and dad. That's the early stages, right? You're teaching your children, don't do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. Like they don't understand abstract things. They need to understand, don't touch the stove, don't run across the street, right? There's these do's and don'ts that the early mind can only wrap itself around. And that's kind of like our walk with God. When you first got saved, it's kind of like, okay, what do I need to do, right? What do I not need to do? You start to get into that. Mindset, okay. I need to go to church. I need to read my Bible. I need to do this. I need to do that. That's the first stage of how we relate to God as a servant. What am I supposed to do? And the first thing, if you want to just bring this over to child raising, the first thing a child needs to do, and this is for all the mommies and daddies out there, this is free, is a child needs to learn, especially a little one, like zero to two, they need to learn to submit and obey the authority that God placed over them. (laughs) You don't have to explain to a one-year-old why you shouldn't stick your fingers in an electrical socket, right? They just need to know, mommy and daddy said don't do that, and they need to learn to respect the authority that God placed over them. Because it says in the book of Galatians, chapter four, verse one, in those formative years, guess what? The Bible says, a child differeth nothing from a servant. (laughs) A child, a little one, needs to learn, I need to do this, and I need to do that. And guess what, mommy and daddy? You are like God in that house. They are learning to obey you so that one day they can learn to submit to God. And if they never learn to obey you, how are they ever going to believe God? It's a God setting up a pattern and a picture there. It's the same with our walk with God. In the beginning, we have to take this mentality, like, okay, you're God, I'm your servant, what do you want me to do? Right? That's a good place to start. Go to Acts chapter nine, go to Acts chapter nine. I could see you're excited about that one, right? Your Adamic nature is screaming right now. You can't tell me what to do, That's How do you raise your children like that? Yeah, guess what? Don't raise your children like that, guess what? If a child never learns to obey and never learns to submit, guess what? They're gonna grow up and spend time with Vinnie Sorrentino in jail. because right, he works in a jail. He's not in jail, he works, he works in a jail, right? He works in a jail and he's probably met many a guy and guess what? I've done prison ministries, I've served in jails, so I speak from my experience. You know what those guys say? I never had a daddy. I never had a father. I never had anybody tell me what to do. And guess what? You never learn what to do as a little one, guess what? You don't learn to submit as a little one? You're never going to submit to the government. You're never going to submit to a police officer. You're never going to submit to laws. You're never going to submit to God. You're going to be a rebel for the rest of your life if you don't learn as a little one to submit to authority. And as a child of God, you've got to learn in the beginning, he's God. And you're not. So you would do well to bow your heart and bow your knee and bow your will to the one who knows better than that little sponge between your ears. I know that little sponge between your ears with all its fissures. You know, no, my IQ is 120. Fantastic. I'm really happy for you. Join Mensa. i wonderful, right? Guess what? God is infinite. <laughs> He knows better than you. He knows better than the best man. You take twenty Einsteins and put them all together. He laughs. You know, Einstein, the greatest mind we might have seen in the modern twenty first twentieth century. What did he give us? A bomb, right? That's what he gave us—a bomb, right? So trust God. Submit to God. Look at Acts chapter nine, right? Acts chapter nine is um, the apostle Paul getting saved, and Paul said, "My life would be a pattern." for everyone that follows me. So there's something about Paul getting saved that speaks to how our salvation should begin and how our walk with God begins. Good Acts chapter nine, verse three, it says, and this is Saul, he's right, he's on his rampage to stamp out Christianity. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? First question. And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. That must have been a shock. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Second question. You see, the first stage of your relationship with God is learning how to submit as a servant. And many a Christian stays a stunted, maladjusted, ill formed child because they never get past that hump of learning to just submit to what God says and submit to who God is. If you don't ever get over that, you're never going to mature. You're never going to have a relationship with God. You're going to be saved, yes, but you'll never have a relationship with God if you can't just submit and say, God, you're right and I'm wrong. Wherever we cross, God, you're right and I'm wrong. Amen? Amen. Let God be true and every man a liar. And that every man includes the idiot you looked at in the mirror this morning, right? That person is wrong. When your grandmother crosses the Bible, she's wrong. When I cross the Bible, I'm wrong. When you cross the Bible, you're wrong. You're dead wrong. And until you come to the place where God is right and everybody else is wrong, you're never gonna grow. That's the first stage. that you submitting like a servant. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That is the first step. Notice that, like Paul, the first thing you need to see is who Jesus Christ really is. Lord, who art thou? Right? I'm Jesus. That's the first step, right? Think about when you wanted to get saved. You found out, you know, like Eli's testimony, right? Who was the man on that cross, right? You know, who died on that cross? And you find out it was Jesus, the Nazarene, who died on that cross. Do you remember when you realized that? Do you remember when you like went to church and you heard about this man called Jesus and maybe you dabbled in religion and it really hit you that he died on the cross for you? I remember when that hit me like at 20 years old, which is some years ago now, but... Don't judge me, but it's about some years ago now. But I remember it. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit hit me like a shockwave. It was just like, that was a man dying on that cross. And that Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, O Lord. That was like somebody took the scales off my eyes. And I realized that all those days of being an altar boy and all those days of jingling the bells and, and all those days of staring at the crucifix and all those days of flipping the incense and throwing water on the casket, what the heck were we doing? You know, we throw water on the casket like it's gonna make the body jump out of the thing and, and live again. we do all these things and all of a sudden I realized that that took all that out of the way and that was a man who died on a cross for me. Who art thou, Lord? That first question. That's what Paul got. Who art thou, Lord? I'm Jesus. Whoa. And then when he got that, look at the next question. Verse 6. Once you recognize who Jesus is, the next question has got to be, all right, what do you want me to do? You died on the cross? What do you want me to do? <laughs> you did that for me? Jesus, you died for me? What, what wilt thou have me to do? That's a logical next step. So can I ask you, do you know who Jesus Christ is? <laughs> do you know who the Lord is? Yeah, you're afraid to answer yes because you know I'm going to get you with the second question. (laughs) You know who Jesus Christ is? Yes, you did. Let me ask it this way. Are you saved? Yeah. Yeah, then you know who Jesus is. You know who that one was on that cross. Well then, have you asked God what you're supposed to be doing? Lord, what am I supposed to do with my spouse? What am I supposed to do with my family? What am I supposed to do with my money? What am I supposed to do with my time? What am I supposed to do? He'll still let you have fun. But real fun, clean fun, honest fun. I think getting together and just eating today, that's my kind of fun. Amen. That's some good fun for me. That's why I'm fat. But anyway, um, you weren't supposed to laugh at that, you're supposed to say no. <laughs> but anyway, I'm serious. Right. But what are some things a Christian supposed to do? I'll give you some, because I know you're wondering, so I figure I'll help you out. Are you spending time in God's Word? Amen. Bible says you're supposed to study as a workman. There's some work to do. Find out what the Bible says about your new life. Find out what the Bible says about how you're supposed to live. Hey, you're thinking about having children, and you don't know what the Bible says about children? You're nuts. You want to, you asking God to give you a spouse and you haven't searched the Bible and figured out what a godly spouse and how to treat a godly spouse and what even the qualifications of a godly spouse are, you're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Like, you're crazy. You got to find out what God says before the whole thing happens, right? Man up and get in there. How about another one? Are you praying? The Bible talks about in Colossians four twelve, laboring fervently in prayers. It's prayer. It's work to pray. It's work to take the time out and bow your heart and push the devil away saying, who are you talking to, the ceiling? Who are you talking to? There's nobody there. It takes work to sweat and plead and ask God to have mercy on your children, have mercy on your church family, raise people up from beds of affliction, save, lost, love, That's work. You could all do that work. You could do it sitting here right now. Pray for me. Hey, how about another work? Are you turning from sin? Turning from your idols? The Bible calls that the work of faith. It's a, faith is supposed to make you do something. That's a good thing, turning away from that old life. How about this? Are you loving each other like you should? Amen. Good preaching, brother! <laughs> Are you? Bible says, by love, serve one another. Amen. Are you assembling together? Amen. Hard to love on somebody when you don't see them. <laughs> Are you forgiving one another? Are you helping each other out? I mean, Galatians chapter 6 says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's some doing you can do. How about this one? Are you letting the lost world know there is a Savior? Bible calls that the work of an evangelist. The work of getting your butt up out of your comfort zone and taking the gospel to somebody that doesn't know it and needs it. That's a good work. There's some work for us to do as God's servants. And the first thing you've got to get in your relationship with God is that you are God's servant. I don't want to say that 10 more times, so you better get it, right? You and I are God's servant. You were saved to serve God. You were created for his pleasure god doesn't serve you you serve god now he's a benevolent master he's a gracious lord there's a lot of guys you work for that are jerks and you you know you toe the line and do what you got to do because you need what they got to give you but god's got some things to give you richly why don't you serve him more why don't you love him more listen if the lord came back this afternoon how much of what you worked for would be wasted Right? All the stuff we work for and invest in and struggle in. You know what? If the Lord came back this afternoon, i got to ask myself, how much of it is going to count for anything past the next five minutes? Right? We labor and we struggle and we do this and we do that. We build up these constructs that, well, you got to do this and you got to do that. No, what you have to do is serve God with all your strength, all your mind, all your heart. You know when you get to rest? When you're dead. <laughs> right? Just work until you're dead. Serve God until there's nothing left. And when you're up in heaven, man, you'll enjoy the retirement. You know what? I just want to burn my candle out. I'd, you say, oh, you're getting some balance, Pat. Take your balance and shove it. I want to go all the way. I want to tail all the way. Because God says, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. And I want to be consumed with it. I want to be eaten up with it. I want to have the passion that my Savior had. I don't. I have not apprehended. But I know that's the way I want to go. I know that's the way I want to go. So if you've been saved to be God's servant, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. we got some work to do. Now go to John chapter 15. Let me show you the next thing. That first one is rough, I know. The next one will be sugary. Don't worry. It'll be, it'll be a little softer on you there. right? But I like what David Livingston said. They said they came to David Livingston and he was, they said, uh, well, the, he was out there in the Congo trying to plant at work for God and he said, well, Mr. Livingston, where are the roads? How are we going to send help to you? He said, send me men that don't need any roads. Right? That's the, he said, fear God and work hard. That's all, that was a great quote. Fear God and work hard. And that's a, that's a, that's a great man of God. We think back to him. Uh, so we got to be a servant first. In John chapter 15, here's our next step. The next step in our relationship with the Lord, is to be his friends. See John chapter 15, verse 13? Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants. See the progress? 13, they were servants. Now we're moving up a little bit. I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. You see, in the upper room, Jesus Christ goes on to say his disciples are more than servants. They're friends. A friend is someone you fellowship with. Someone you talk to and spend time with. Right there in verse 15, he's saying, friends, let each other know what they're doing. He says, you're not just my servant, you're my friend. I'm letting you know what's going on. I want to share my heart with you. I want to share my will with you. I want to share my my mind with you. They communicate, friends do. You know, in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 41, you don't have to flip there. God calls Abraham, my friend. Could you imagine a title like that? my friend. He says, Abraham, my friend. You know what he did with Abraham? They talked together. Read Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, right? Just read all these conversations. That Abraham had. He must have walked out there into the desert and just the voice of the Lord came to him and they, they communed together. They talked together. They had a relationship together. I mean, he tells Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, I will make of thee a great nation. I mean, God shares his plan with Abraham. He says, you know what I'm doing, Abraham? I'm calling out a people for myself and I'm going to start with you, buddy. And you're going to bless the whole world. The Messiah, the seed is going to come out of you. Wow, Lord, really? Yeah, look over here. Look over there. Look up. It's all going to be yours and your descendants. That was a relationship. That wasn't just service. That was a friendship. Letting him know what he's doing. God's getting ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighboring cities. You know what he says among himself in the Godhead? He says, shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? And then Abraham and God talk about Sodom together. Abraham pleads with him, and there's this back and forth exchange. That's more than a servant, people. Because when you go to work tomorrow and the boss says, do this, yes, sir, and you do it. So you get paid, and so you get what you gotta get, right? But this is more than that. This is... I'm thinking about doing this over here, Abraham. Oh, Lord, but what if there's 50 just people? What if there's 40 and 30 and 20? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Right, they're pleading with each other. They're talking to each other. Abraham was a friend of God. God could call Abraham my friend. They talked together. You know who else was called a friend of God? Moses. Exodus 33:11 says, And the Lord spake Unto Moses, face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. See that? Think about all the back and forth between Moses and the Lord. I mean, starting from the burning bush, right? From the burning bush on, there's all this back and forth. You know, the children of Israel do this, and then he's pleading with God about that, and he's pleading. There's all this back and forth, back and forth between God and Moses. And Moses said, I'm talking to you like a friend. I'm talking to you like a friend. Think about all Moses and the Lord talked about. How many times Moses pleaded with God for the people, complained to God about the people, wondered to God about the people, just wondered to God about what was going on. Think about him going up there on that mount for 40 days. Just him and God and coming back and his face is shining like gold because the fellowship actually changed him. What was he doing up there? Just listening, just communing. Just talking, watching God do his little handwriting with his finger and writing on those tablets, the, 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 the commandments of God. I mean, how, how amazing. How, what did Moses see up there? It says he received the law at the disposition of angels. I don't know what was going on on that mount. It was a wild scene. And God was just sharing it with Moses. And he called him a, a friend. Go to John chapter 3. Look at 3, 29. This is John the Baptist speaking. And he says this in John 3, 29. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. Guess what? Are you saved? One more amen. amen. You're the bride. You got the bridegroom. Jesus is mine. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. John the Baptist is not in the bride of Christ. He's not saved the way you were saved. He's not a, 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 in the body of Christ like that. So you know what his blessing was? He says... But the friend of the bridegroom, that's who he was, a friend, which standeth and heareth him. See, it's about listening to his voice, about talking, which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. You know what was special? God revealed himself further to Israel and made them his friends. Why? Because he wanted them to hear his voice. He wanted to fellowship with them. He wanted a people that he could speak to, communicate with, let them know what he's doing. And Romans chapter three says, unto them the Jews were committed, the oracles of God. (laughs) Like they had this special relationship that God's words were given to those people, like his friends. They heard his voice. They communed with him. They got to hear what he said. They got the word. Guess what? The word of God was not in China. It wasn't in India. It wasn't over there in in the Americas. You know where the word of God was given? It's that one little nation called Israel. God committed his word to them. He says, I want you to be my friends, like Moses, like Abraham. I want to talk to you and through your people. I'm going to give you my words, Israel. Go to Luke chapter 11. Could you imagine having what God said? Now, you're more than a friend today, but you are, should be a friend. There should be that Back and forth, that relationship, that talking. Some of you haven't talked to God in a long time. And I don't mean you saying a little grace over your meal this afternoon, like, thank you, God, you know, what is it? Hail Mary, full of grace, plus stuff, bless God, feed your face, whatever they say, those silly things they make up. No, no, they say, that, that's not praying. Amen. Praying is like, Lord, what's going on over here? Lord, what about this? What about that verse? Hey, Lord, the doctor said this. What's going on, Father? Right? That's like communion. <laughs> Sometimes he makes you wait for an answer, but you know what? He wants to hear your voice. He wants to talk to you. <laughs> Guess what? You bring those prayers up to God and then open up your Bible, and I guarantee you, something's going to jump off that page and crack you like a baseball bat. You're gonna be like, whoa, what is that? What is what? That verse right there. How'd that verse get in the Bible? It's always been there. I don't know, it just jumped off the page of me. Why? Because that's how God talks to you. You talk to God in prayer, and God talks to you through the Bible. It's pretty simple, right? That's like elementary, dear Watson. That's the first thing we learn. But we got to do it. You know what happens to a relationship where you don't talk to each other? <sighs> Grows awfully cold, doesn't it? You know? Husbands and wives, you stop talking to each other, you're going to be finding a lawyer very soon. Right? you got to, like, talk to each other. Relationships are built on communication. How do you have a relationship with somebody that you don't communicate with? And how do you think you have a relationship with God if you're not communicating with him? It doesn't have to be this grand thing. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you. No, it could be you just walking outside this morning. Lord, this is a beautiful day. Thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for the strength to walk to my car. Communicate. Prayer request comes in about a cousin who's got thyroid cancer. Lord, what's that all about? That's a tough one, Lord. I can identify with that dad. I know what he's going through, Lord. Have some mercy on him, Lord. Don't judge him for being angry. I know he's angry, but have a look. It's a conversation. It should be as natural to you as breathing, right? You breathe in, that's the word. You exhale, that's the prayer, right? That's, a, that's communion. Why? That shouldn't be foreign to us. That should be natural to us. He wants to be that friend with you. Look at Luke 11. I'll show you this thing in Luke 11, verse 5. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend? And shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. You know that guy had to be Italian because he'd look for over bread at midnight, right? And uh, for a friend of mine is in his journey, has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer him and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. There were tremendous doctrinal applications and implications of that passage right there. But I just want to make it personal right now. You know what a real friend is? A real friend can talk to each other in good times and bad. If somebody's really a friend, you can knock on that door, send that text at midnight and say, I need some bread. (laughs) And you know what? A real friend will be like, all right, okay, I'll help you out. They may, you know, drag their feet a little bit, but they'll help you out. They'll be there. That's, that's real fellowship. you know. That's not what the world has. The world is like, they're with you as long as the money's there and you're doing good. But when things start to hit the proverbial fan, they scatter like cockroaches in the light. It's just like, where are they now? They're gone. Right? They were there with you when you were partying and the money was flowing like wine, but all of a sudden you hit a rough spot and all of a sudden, where did every, everybody go? Right? That's not real. God says, I'm with you all the time in the good times and the bad. In the book of Job, Job says this to his friends. He says, to him that is afflicted, pity should be showed from his friend. Hasn't the Lord shown you pity? Amen. Doesn't he? He's a real friend. Amen. What a friend we have in Jesus. When you're down, when you're out, when the world has kicked you in the gut and you're leaning over in pain, you know what the Lord says? I could give you some balm in Gilead. I could comfort you. I can help you. He has pity. The Bible says, as a father pitieth his children. So the Lord pityeth them that fear him. You going through something today? The Lord's not, yeah, what's the more of that? No, that's how man gets. The Lord's like, I'm just trying to get your attention, son. Just trying to tend your attention, daughter. He's got pity. He pities us because we know our frame. We're just dust. Proverbs 17:17 17, 17 says, A friend loveth at all times. Isn't the Lord there for you all the time? Hey, two o'clock in the morning. Something goes on. You wake up. You can't sleep. You know, you may not be able to call me, but you know who you can call on. You can call on the Lord. He's there. He doesn't go to sleep. He doesn't put a little sign up. Be back in fifteen minutes. Taking lunch. No, there's none of that. You can call on God twenty four seven. Bible. David said, "I'll call upon him as long as I live." Right? You can call him on the entire time. You can call upon him sitting there, and you know. I use these illustrations all the time because they're stuck in my brain. You could be sitting there in, in Sloan Kettering in the middle of the night and your son's writhing in pain. You know what? The nurse, you ring the bell. They don't come. They don't come. Guess what? You call on God right there. He's there. He's there. He's listening, right? You could be in the hospital and wondering what's going on and nobody's around, can't get a hold of anybody. You know who you can get a hold of? The Lord, you can call on him. But he's not, he's not real enough for you. That's why you don't do it. You think he's like a statue. You think he's like a, a theology. He's not a theology. He's a person right with a mind and a heart the bible talks about he's got ears he's got eyes right he sees he hears the eyes of the lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their cries so he's a friend and can i say this with this progression here do you know the lord wanted more than a worker be when he saved you yes we start as servant but we don't stay there the Lord wanted fellowship with you. The Lord wanted in you somebody that he could talk to, somebody he could reveal himself to. You know, you're a parent. You might joke around and say, well, I don't want to carry stuff. That's why I had kids. Ha, ha, ha. I think they take your parent license away. Because your kids, yes, they're supposed to work. They're supposed to do stuff. They're supposed to get out there in the yard and do all the things you want them to do. That's good for them to get off the screen and break a sweat. Right, that'll be good for them. It's good for your body to sweat every day, right? To get out there and sweat. Get out there with a shovel, dig a trench. M- you know, mow the yard, clean up the clippings, wash the dishes. It's good for you to do that. You're welcome, parents. All right, it's good for you to do that. But you don't just have children, so you have slaves, right? They're not just your little minions that you send off into a room, illumination. or right? You just send them off. No, they're they're supposed to have as time goes on a relationship you know that progressive revelation of God affects our progressive relationship with God because guess what you couldn't have deep conversations over the bassinet you know when they're first born in the bassinet it's like wow I think she winked (laughs) I think she smiled oh no that's gas okay that's gas she had gas look at that and Oh, oh, ooh, that was a big one, honey. Look at that. You know, that's that's pretty much it. You know, you're watching that little flesh ball just fart and you know eat and yeah, do the little thing. That's that's about it. You're not, you know, you know, I want to tell you about, you know, what my plans are for your life and you know how I came to know Jesus Christ and you know what my past was like and how I came up out of the gutter in Jesus. You're not gonna tell that over the bassinet. Right? You wait for that child to grow up a little bit. When I was little, wasn't wasn't your dad like that when you were really little? When I was really little, my dad was like God, right? My dad was like, he was scary. He was big and he was powerful, and I didn't want to cross him because he, you know, he grew up in like he grew up in like West Side stories. Like he was fighting all the time and in gangs all the time and getting recruited by the mafia and stuff like that. And I was just like, I'd hear these, oh my dad was this big, strong guy to me. But you know what happens? You get older, and then he starts to share his mind with you. He starts to share his heart with you. That's how it is with God. In the beginning, it's like God, 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 and then you start to realize he wants to be that friend, he wants to talk, he wants to reveal, he wants to communicate. When you're a baby believer, you focus on what to do, but then you walk with the Lord a little bit, you start to realize, Lord, let's talk a little bit. It's more than just service, it's, it's communications, it's friendship, it's fellowship. Like Abraham, like Moses, you can have that back and forth with God, right? You can talk to each other. That's progress. That's maturing. That's moving up in your relationship with God. Go to Song of Solomon shall we? Go to Song of Solomon. We'll finish up this point right there. Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon chapter 5 verse number 16. In Song of Solomon chapter 5 the the bride, the bride has just described her bridegroom, just gone on for this long description of her husband. And in chapter 5, at the end, she's described the way he looks, how tall he is, and his hair, and his teeth, and his face, and his body. He's described all these physical attributes of him, his legs. And then she gets to verse 16, the end of the description. And the bride finishes this blessed description by saying this. 516 of Song of Solomon. His mouth is most sweet. Yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. The bride finishes this blessed description by calling her bridegroom friend. Friend. Beloved first, right? They were husband and wife. There was a beloved, yes, first, but but then friend. friend, friend, friend. And I want to say this to all the guys in the room. Men, if you have a wife, or you aspire to have a wife, you better be, she better be more than a slave. She better be more than a servant. She better be more than the one that cooks and does the wash. You know what she needs to be? She needs to be your best friend. Amen. My wife is my best friend. Amen. I would rather talk to her than any of you. I just tell you that straight up. I'd rather hang out with my wife than any of you. Right? Now, i like to hang out with you, but I really enjoy just talking with my wife. I would like my wife to be able to say, this is my beloved and this is my friend. Right? Eve was taken from Adam's side, not Adam's feet. Right? So she was taken from his side because there's supposed to be some fellowship there, some communion there, some friendship there. You're welcome, ladies. Right? There's supposed to be some communion there. And if that's the picture, because a husband and wife is a picture of Christ in his church, if that's the picture, then Jesus Christ wants fellowship with his bride. He wants communion with his bride. He wants some friendship with his bride. He wants her to hear his voice, and he wants to hear your voice, like friends talking to each other. You should be able to exclaim about Jesus Christ the way this bride is exclaiming about Jesus Christ. This is my beloved, he's my savior, he's my bridegroom, and all those doctrinal things. But you know what? On the personal level, and this is my friend. That's how it should be. You should be able to sing with all the saints. What a friend we have in Jesus. And finally, John chapter 20. See the progress? Servant, friend. And now we go on to our last thing here. and It's brief. John chapter 20, verse number 15. The last designation the Lord gives to his disciples is brethren, brethren. Now we know the seed here. Mary is weeping outside the sepulcher and the, the, the tomb is empty and she doesn't understand. And in verse 15, we'll pick it up and it says, Jesus saith unto her, woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself, and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my father, and your father, and to my God, and your God. Look at that. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. First, if there's nothing else you get today, notice how Jesus Christ in the atoning plan of God stopped to comfort a weeping disciple. That's tremendous. You know how he stopped a blind guy on the road and Jesus stood still? Here he is. He's got to go up there and finish the atonement so don't touch me. Don't defile me yet. I got to go into the presence of God like that high priest. But... He stopped to comfort a disciple. That's free. I just stuck that in there. So if you're going through something today, God will stop for you and dry those tears and put them in his bottle. But after that resurrection, the Lord shares this blessed news with the weeping disciple that now we're brethren. My God's your God. My Father's your Father. We're family. He says that after the resurrection, right? Now being brethren involves family, it involves sharing a common bond. It involves walking in unity. He's like, wow, we got the same God now. We got the same Father now. Now, I know out there in the world, people call each other brother, right? Firemen, right? Fire people, firemen. I don't know what I'm supposed to say, right? They call each other. Sorry, Matt, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. I'm supposed to call each other. They call each other brother. Guys on the job, right? My, my, uh, my chapter chair, I'll be like, have a good weekend, brother. I'm like, yeah, sure thing, Ray. You know, so... Um, <laughs> They call each other brother. I mean, I work with a lot of ladies, so it's, I don't call them sister. Hey, sister. Right? But, you know, this is the thing. Guys on the job will call each other brother. But in verse 17, that's not bad. I'm not saying that's bad, but that's, that's built on nothing. That's built on nothing. You're not really brothers. But in verse 17 right there, if you read that, he's saying if you share a bloodline with Jesus Christ, you are really brothers in Christ. Like there's an eternal bond there. There's something real there that extends when the workday ends. You say, I say, hey, brother, how's it going? I'm not just using some Christian verbiage. Like, you're my brother. You're my sister. That's a real bond we share because somebody rose again from the dead and allowed us to all be born into the same family. Like, that's a real bond there. Before the resurrection, the Lord didn't really call his disciples brethren. One time I'll show you he did, but you don't see him addressing them as brethren a lot. In one fact, in John eleven eleven, he goes to that tomb where Lazarus is dead, and he says, "Our friend Lazarus sleepeth." Not our brother Lazarus, not our boy Lazarus. He says, "Our friend Lazarus, Lazarus sleepeth." Now go to Luke chapter eight. Let me show you the one time where he alludes to the, his disciples as brethren. It's very important about what is it that really bonds us together. What makes disciples brethren? Luke 8. This shows up in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I'm going to read the account in Luke, verse, chapter 8, verse number 19. Luke 8, 19. Then came to him his mother and his brethren. See, these are his physical family now. I want to see the contrast. His mother and his brethren, Mary and the rest of the boys she had after Jesus was born. Okay? Because Jesus was called the firstborn, okay? Mary was not a perpetual virgin, right? She would have been a really lousy wife if she was a perpetual virgin. I think Joseph would have divorced her pretty quickly, right? So they have more kids. At least six kids are mentioned in the Bible that Mary and Joseph have after Jesus is born of Mary. And there it says right there, his mother and his brethren, and they could not come at him for the press. So Jesus is so surrounded by so many people, his mom and his brothers are trying to get a moment to speak to Jesus, and look what happens. Verse 20. And it was told to him by certain which said, thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to see thee you know I mean your mom's here I mean you know Jesus was not Italian because when mom shows up and mom you've got to stop and talk to mom or else you're going to get an Italian 45 All right so mom's here mom wants to talk to you verse 21 and he answered and said unto them my mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it Woo, Amen. man Shots fired. I mean, somebody's eyebrows just came off when he said that. Just He says, you know who my brethren are? These people that are hearing the word of God and doing it. That's amazing. Look at Luke 11. Look at Luke 11. I'll show you another one just to bother you a little more. Luke eleven twenty seven. 27. Luke eleven twenty seven. 27. Luke eleven twenty seven. 27. Look at this. And it came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps which thou hast sucked. That woman must have been Italian, right? Ah, <laughs> oh, blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps which thou hast sucked. Oh, your mama must have been such a good mama. <laughs> but he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep Amen. it. Wow. <laughs> that, is, that is intense right there. Now, Mary was a good woman, but... The only brethren Jesus referred to had the common bond of that book. That's what Jesus said is the measure of my brethren. That's what makes you one of mine. Are you doing and following what that book says? So if you're sitting today and you say, I think Jesus is a pretty good guy, have you done what that pretty good guy says you need to do to have your sins forgiven? I think Jesus was a great teacher. Do you know what he taught about salvation? He said, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He said, Ye must be born again. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You think he's a pretty good guy? Then why aren't you doing what he said? That's what he said to do. And he said, The people that do what I say, they're my brethren, they're my family. He didn't recognize any earthly bonds. The Lord didn't care about his mother or and he cared about her. I don't mean it that way, but he wasn't preoccupied with any earthly connections. The only bond God cares about to qualify for his family is obeying that book and what it says. So have you obeyed the gospel? The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's a command. Have you obeyed it? You're not his brother if you haven't obeyed that. You could have come to church. You could have gotten right up to the front. You could come stand up here, you know, and, and just, wherever you think you need to stand, kiss a crucifix if you want to. Get as Go to Christian churches seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and say prayers and offer things and do that. But unless you've been born again, you're not in the family. Because he says the ones that are in the family are the ones that hear and do what I say. And Jesus said, these things I say unto you that ye might be saved. Are you saved? Then you're in the family. If you're not saved, you're not his brother. You're, you're, just, you're listening to him, but you're not his brother. And it's after the resurrection, Jesus Christ made it possible for all these men to be part of his family. He says to them, go to my brethren and tell them, I go to my father and your father. And to my God and your God. He's saying, we're on the same page now. We're in the same family now. We got the same bond now. You know what he's saying there? If God's your father and you're all brethren, you know what he's saying there? There's unity now with us. You see it coming? You see the sledgehammer coming? Because if we're all in the same family and we're all worshiping the same God, we've got the same bond in the same book and we're washing the same blood, you know what there should be in this place? Wait for it. Unity. There should be unity here. My God's your God. My Father's your Father, right? Now look at John chapter 17. You know, Jesus Christ, I just got a two verses, a couple verses left here. I'll be done soon. John 17, verse 18. This is Jesus Christ's high priestly prayer. It's the last recorded prayer in the Bible, right? He's got this whole chapter. It's just Jesus praying in that upper room. Look at one of the last things he prays for is as thou hast sent me, seventeen, 18, I'm sorry. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world, meaning his disciples. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. That's Jesus Christ's last prayer and he's asking the Father, let there be unity among your people. Let there be unity among my brethren. Let there be unity in the coming church. That's what he's asking for. Now your Jehovah's Witness friends will turn to that verse and say, well, that just means when I and my Father are one, that means we just want to be on the same page. That's not what John chapter 10 means. John chapter 10, he's saying, I and my Father are one. We're the same, right? We're connected. That's why they picked up rocks to try to kill him in John chapter 10. This is not the same sentiment. This is saying, Father, I walk with you. We're on the same page. We're unified. I do all these those things that please you and you've given me things to do. I want your disciples to be that way with each other. I want them to be of one mind and one mouth in the Lord. And he's asking for that. The Savior's asking his Father for that. If Jesus Christ's last prayer to his Father is for unity, shouldn't you be working at it to fulfill his dying wish? I mean, if you found the last journal entry of a dead loved one, I've told the story, right? I went home, my dad died many years ago, i found his journal, and I'm reading it to see what he wanted. And he wanted peace in his family. That was what he wanted. So, you know, I try to bring that. I want to do that. If you found the last journal entry of a dead loved one, wouldn't you try to fulfill his dying wish if you could? Say, oh, he wanted this. Grandpa wanted this. Uncle wanted that. You know, sister so-and-so wanted this. You know, let me try to make that come true. Let me try to be the answer of that prayer. And if you found and you have in your lap the last desire of your savior shouldn't you endeavor to keep the unity shouldn't you be trying to let us be one as he was one with his father the bible says in ephesians 4 3 that god's people should be endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace he's saying you guys should be working at unity because it's so easy to be drawn and pulled apart if it's so easy to let stuff divide us We have to work at keeping ourselves together. It's easy to get divided. It's easy to get on each other's nerves. It's easy to get our our feathers ruffled. We've got to endeavor, work, covenant, try, strive, commit to unity because we're brethren. And he made us brethren. That's the last thing he told his disciples. You guys are my brethren. You got the same father I got, the same God I got. We're one. Let there be some unity, Father, among them. Go to Genesis 13. I got two verses left. Genesis 13. Don't answer this out loud, but are you a man of faith? I hope so. You got a salvation like Abraham. He's supposed to have faith like Abraham. You know what Abraham was like? This man of faith who believed God for the impossible. In Genesis 13, there's a little bit of a spat between his herdman and his nephew Lot's stuff. And in Genesis 13, verse 7 says, And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled in the land, then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. You see that heart, folks? Oh, if we could have that heart. If you're a man of faith and you don't have that heart, You're not a man of faith. Because the man of faith won't let anything come between him and his brethren. In fact, Paul says, If meat maketh my brother to offend, I will eat no meat while the world standeth. That's how willing he was to not make a brother or sister stumble. And you and I are so puffed up on our liberty, like nobody's gonna take my liberty. Give me liberty or give me death. You trample everybody in this place because you think you got some kind of liberty. But the Bible says, don't use your liberty as an occasion for the flesh, but by love, serve one another. You're supposed to forsake your liberty that someone else might get closer to God. And here, Abram could have said, hey, Lot, tough. I'm taking this spot, tough. He said, you know what? We're brethren. There should be no strife. I'll go over here. And you could just go over there. Where are the men of faith like that? You know what, brother? Okay, brother. I'll just, I'll go over here and you go over there, right? We'd be brethren instead of, well, I've got liberty and I'm going to stand here because I've got book, chapter, and verse and idol is nothing and all things are expedient and I could do whatever I want to do. No, you can't do whatever you want to do. You're supposed to be bound by, the, by that love one for another. And if we be brethren, let there be no strife. Don't foment strife in here. Don't elicit strife. Be on guard against strife. It's so easy. It was just some herdmen and some cattle disagreeing about their stuff, and it was causing such a ruckus that the man of faith took the first step and said, I got to maintain unity. I got to endeavor to keep unity. So if you got beef with anybody in here, if you've stepped on toes in here or another Christian somewhere somehow, you know what? If you're a man of faith, be the bigger one. Take the first step I say, you know what? I'm going to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. I hope you wouldn't be somebody that would let something slip in and divide this place. You wouldn't be somebody that would let something slip in and divide the body for which Christ died to call us brethren. Unity, you know what that is? That's the mature level. Oh, I'm a servant. I'm going out. I handed out all these tracks. I did all this. That's wonderful. That's great. And you know what, I prayed and did this and I'm reading my Bible, you're a friend, that's great. But the top tier is the one that's willing to lay his liberty down that unity might be maintained. That's called charity. And charity is the bond of perfectness. Charity says, though I give my body to be burned and feed the poor and do all these things and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Right? Charity is the top tier. Charity is the ultimate mark of maturity that somebody could step on your toes and you could say, it's all right, brother. That's charity. Now, some of you say, not me. I mean, I'm a little under the table. No, that's that. No, you got to be willing to spend and be spent. Right? You say, I don't like that. Welcome to the ministry. Welcome to Christianity. I think Jesus, I think everybody forsake him and fled when he was at the cross, right? But one, <laughs> Was he like, oh man, I can't believe it. I'm up here dying on the cross and all these punks dipped on me. I can't believe this. No, he still loved them. He brought them fish on the fire when he got risen from the dead, right? He said, children, have you any meat? He brought them and he rescued them and he redeemed them and he restored them. Charity, that's God's love in action. That's what maintains unity. The Bible says that the bond of perfectness is charity. That's what keeps us together. It's like the glue that holds this thing together. Why are we so patient with the world but won't have any charity with the brethren? Boss does something dumb, you know, crazy uncle does something dumb, you know, neighbor does something dumb, you know, you'll, you know, know, that's just the way they are. Christian does something dumb to you, that's it. I'm not coming back there, I'm not sitting by that one, I'm not doing my own, people. Like, lighten up a little bit. Right, Take your little black book. I know you got your little mental black book of all the offenses everybody's ever done to you. You, know, you wouldn't ever tell anybody, but you got them all cataloged and categorized and topically arranged with tabs so you can turn to them easily. You know what? Take that thing and throw it in the ocean. Let there be some unity. Well, I know this one. I know that one. Stop looking at each other with that eye. Stop eyeing each other like that. That's like Saul, how he eyed David with that envy. Just come on, man. Let there be some unity. Go enjoy lunch together and sit with people that you don't always sit with. Just get to know each other. You're going to be in heaven forever together. Might as well fellowship down here a little bit. Go to Acts chapter 9. I'll end in Acts chapter 9. Does that make any sense? Amen. All right, all right. Acts chapter 9. We be brethren. We be brethren. Now, Saul was a rough dude, Right? He was a rough dude. He's going around killing Christians, trying to drag them around and kill them, and shut the church down single-handedly. God saves him, right? Now, put yourself in a Christian and a believer's shoes back then. Paul, Saul, is a notorious Christ destroyer. He's, he's looking to wipe Christians out everywhere. And word gets around that this guy, Saul of Tarsus, gets saved. Are you the first one to go ask him to lunch? Probably not. Are you like, I don't know. Is this a trick? Is this a trap? Um, you got to be wise, brother. You know, is this a trick? Is this a trap? I don't know. That's how we would, that's how it probably would be. You might have had family members that were killed by, at the hands of Saul. You might have been related to somebody that he dragged to prison. I'm sure there was a little like, you know, he walked into a room, it was like Moses parting the Red Sea. Everybody's just stepped away from him. But God grabs this guy, Ananias, in Acts chapter 9, verse 10, and says this. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. He's a good servant. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight." Then Ananias answered the Lord, answered, Lord, <clears throat> um, um, Lord, um, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And, and here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my sake for my name's sake watch those next three words and Ananias went you know what that is that's a mature believer right there God you told me to love him I'm going to love him you told me to reach out to him I'm going to reach out to him he went his way and entered into his house and putting his hands on him said Saul no 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 that's not what he said he said brother Saul Wow, The one who had been our enemy, brother Saul. I'm sure that must have been the sweetest thing Saul had heard in a long, long time. Ananias obeying the Lord and going to Saul because God said they were brethren. And he was not going to let anything come between them. God, you said he's saved the way I'm saved. He loves you the way I love you. Okay, then I'm going to take all that past offense and squash it. Walk into the house, and he's the one that speaks first. Hey, brother Saul. And he extends the right hand of fellowship to him. Will you obey God and do the same? Will you obey God to put the past behind you and differences aside to maintain unity with your brethren? Will you reach out and say, hey, brother, how you doing? Hey, sister, how you be? Or you wait for them to genuflect before you? No, 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 no. Let there be no strife. We be brethren. Let, there be, well, let us be one. Yeah. You see, I'm closing right here. Our progressive relationship with God is really about our progressive intimacy with Jesus Christ. He reveals himself as God, and we serve God. See, first, we're servants of God. See how they go together? And then we hear the Father's voice, right? The Father speaks, and his children listen. There's that fellowship we have as his friends, or as friends of God but we're brethren because of Christ. We're brethren because that God became Christ and died so we could be part of this thing called the church, a body where we could be brethren with each other. That's the maturing process. That's how God wants this thing to go. So I want to ask you, are you making progress in your walk with God? Are you maturing? Or is your growth stunted? Are you stuck in the growth process, and you're not letting God mature you from servant to friend to brother. See that? There's a difference. you got to start as a servant, but you should end as part of this body. Brethren, let's bow our heads and have a word.